0: Well we give a very warm welcome as always to everyone today, to our service this morning and uh, trust that God will be with us and make himself known to us through his word being blessed. Welcome to those who are joining us online as well um, thank you for your uh, participation in the service with us. There are quite a number of things on the bulletin sheet today and I'm not going to go through them all um, but just to highlight one or two of them for you. There is a testimony meeting tonight at 8.30pm, that's on Zoom, for an informal time of fellowship. And we're looking forward to having uh, Nori MacDonald speaking. And uh, that's for anyone to join in. Zoom details are the pre- same as previous uh, Sunday evenings. A monthly ma- prayer meeting will be tomorrow evening at 7.30. That again is on Zoom. And the prayer link with Muriel in Cambodia on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Other meetings throughout the week. You can please just read these yourselves. Uh, you can see the details there about the call that uh, will be signed to Callum Murdoch Smith, Reverend Callum Murdoch Smith, uh, please read through these details carefully. It Sets out what that's going to involve, and uh, the presbytery have appointed uh, a date for for the signing of the call. That's the 20th of April, Wednesday, 20th of April. Uh, that meeting is going to be here in the church, just to give plenty of space, and that'll be at 7.30 p.m. Now it's important that as many people as possible uh, sign the call in person. So we're appealing to you. If you can at all to be there, please do make conscience of that because one of the things the Presbytery will want to see is uh, the level of support uh, for uh, sending a call to Reverend Calamordo Smith. Uh, If you can't be there, and we understand, of course, that some people cannot be present uh, themselves in person. So there are uh, mandate forms which are available from the elders in your district. Just read through the details there. And uh, if you haven't heard from your district elder by Saturday the 9th of April, uh, well, please contact them for a mandate if you need one of those. And we pray for Mr. Smith, for his congregation too in in North Ewest as these matters proceed through. Now I'm to be on annual leave. I'm doing a wedding on the mainland next week, and I'm building a few days holiday around that. So I'll be away for two Lord's days and uh, you can find the details on the bulletin sheet each week, as usual. Thank you from the Women for Mission. Uh, the uh, last week's uh, spring stall amounted to £930, uh, and that was distributed between Safe Family Scotland, Lacknadon Christian Hospital, India, and Damaris Community House in Greece. And finally, the WFM Ladies' annual event is due to take place, God willing, on 20th of May, That's in the cabot Hotel. They're really looking forward to this after the COVID period has uh, uh, caused that that be uh, not available for the last couple of years. So um, if you, uh, there are booking forms now available. Uh, You can get these from Lizzie or from Donna. The details are there and uh, you need a booking form for the event and they need to be in by 30th of April. So please just read through that as well. Well, let's worship God now. We're singing firstly to his praise in Psalm 113, Uh, Psalm 113 in the Scottish Psalter, that's page 393. Praise God, you servants of the Lord, O praise the Lord's name, praise, yea, blessed be the name of God from this time forth always. From rising sun to where it set, God's name is to be praised. Above all nations, God is high, above heavens his glory raised. Verses 1 to 8. Well, we'll sing the whole of the psalm. There's no point leaving out one verse. So uh, if we sing the whole of the psalm, praise God, you servants of the Lord.
1: Praise God, ye servants of the Lord.
0: Join together in prayer, let's call upon the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and eternal God, we give thanks to you today as we gather here in your presence that you are the God who lifts us up out of the dungle of our sin and sets us in your own family to be in that special relationship with you where you have become our Father where through the Lord Jesus Christ you are pleased to receive us and adopt us into your family. And we thank you today for the privilege we have once again of being able to gather here and worship. Lord, help us to prize it highly. Help us truly today to realize the privilege that is ours and the honor you have bestowed upon us that we are able to come in this way together to worship the Lord God. Help us, Lord, we pray, to reflect upon where way we would be if it were not that your grace reached us and plucked us out of the dunghill and the darkness of sin and brought us into your own marvellous light. We thank you today, Lord, for all that that means to your people and for the way in which they know you have set them on that course that is heavenwards. We come today with our adoration of you and our thanksgiving to you. For you are God, and there is none like you. And we thank you today that you are set above all that you have created, as the sovereign creator, the redeemer of your people, the king and head of your church. Bless us, we pray, Lord, under your word today. We thank you that your word once again brings us that revelation of yourself and the teaching that you have given to us in it, with regard to yourself and regard to ourselves, to the world in which we live, to things past and present and future, even to the things of eternity. Lord, we thank you today that your word is so reliable for us, a word that we can trust, a word that we can commend to others as trustworthy, a word that has been proved to be the word of God down through the centuries and millennia of human life. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought it to us in its completeness, as we find it in its written form in our Bibles. Help us, Lord, we pray as we turn to your Word today, to do so in dependence upon your Holy Spirit, for we cannot ourselves understand the spiritual things of God, of his kingdom, without your own Spirit opening our hearts and our understanding, and giving us that enlightened mind in the knowledge of yourself. We pray today that your Holy Spirit will work mightily in our hearts. Help us, we pray, both in preaching and hearing your word, that we may find it an experience of a demonstration and power of your Spirit as we come under your word and its teaching. We thank you for everyone here today, young and old. We bless you, O Lord, for the way that you are a God to us and to our families, as you have promised to be in covenant. And we thank you that whatever our age may be today, Whatever our circumstances in life may be, whatever we may be able to reflect upon and think upon of our past, of our present situation, Lord, help us, we pray, to carry all of this before you into prayer and seek that you would be our God, and that as you are God to your people already, Lord, we pray today that all who come uh, acknowledging you as their God will come to have that relationship confirmed and assured of their relation with you, that they may go on in the confidence of faith. Forgive us, we pray too, for we come confessing our sin today. Lord, we confess our sin every time we come into your presence, whether together, collectively, in public or privately. We always know that we have sin to confess. We do confess our sin and ask, O Lord, today for your forgiveness and for your cleansing And for your empowering of us so that we may uh, take further steps away from the ways of sin into the path of holiness. Forgive us, we pray, for our sinful lapses, uh, for the times when we go astray into worldliness and to practices that we know are not in accord with your truth, whether mentally or in our practice or in our words. Lord, forgive us, for we sin against you daily in thought and in word and in practice, Forgive us, we pray, for our lack, our lack of zeal, our lack of commitment. Forgive us, for Lord, our failures in every respect to meet the standard that you set out for us in your word and in the primary example we have in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Oh, bless us, we pray today, and grant to us that our hearts may be established in your ways and in your truth. And garrison us, we pray, in the days ahead, with your peace as our guardian in our souls. We ask today for your blessing for those who are ill. We think of our number, Lord, and ask that you bless those unable to be here because of illness in themselves or in their homes or families. Uh, bless, we pray, any who are seriously ill and who may be approaching the borders of death, of leaving this world. We pray for them. We ask that you would prepare them, Lord, for that great step uh, so that they may be uh, made ready to face you and to to meet you in such a way as you will approve of them through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, sanctify, we pray, uh, this time to them. And we pray that such may be true of all of us, for we never know when our last day on earth might be. And we pray that you would bless today those who are uh, unable to carry out their their duties and functions as they used to through infirmity and old age and through the loss of uh, certain uh, uh, senses and certain capacities that they once had. Remember our care homes, Lord, at this time when we know that an increase in the COVID infection has reached our local care homes. Again, we pray for them and for their staff. We ask that you'd bless all residents and bless those who care for them. Lord, guide us, we pray, through this a time of pandemic that still remains with us. We look to you, O Lord, and ask that you would continue to protect and watch over us and keep us from death, we pray. We ask, O Lord, that uh, all the measures taken will be successful in uh, dealing with the virus in whatever way that requires to be done. We ask for our governments, again, that pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that you would give them, Lord, to rule in the wisdom that your word uh, brings to us and commends to us, the wisdom of being in Christ, the wisdom of trusting in you and embracing your word and your laws. Oh, Lord, receive our thanks, we pray, for all that you are to us. And be with the troubled nations of the world today, whether there is war and famine and poverty. Again, we pray for Yemen, for, uh, for those we know in various parts of the world that are facing persecution we pray that you grant blessing, Lord, also to Ukraine, as they continue to deal with their difficult and tragic situation. Lord, remember them in your mercy and grant, once again, to stay the hand of the oppressor and the aggressor. Lord, we ask that you would bring a cessation to the war, and to the violence, and to the loss of life. And so continue to bless us here in our own community. Once again, we commend to you, Lord, those who. Look after our young in in schools and in Sunday school and bless our children at this time as they uh, spend time on holiday. Give them, Lord, your own protective care and bless to them the teaching they receive, especially the things of the gospel. Bless those who are preparing uh, for camps later on in the summer. We ask for all those who have applied, O Lord, that you would bless that to them. Uh, Bless those who have given their time as leaders. Uh, Bless our own Marianne as she Anticipates leading a camp for the first time. We pray that you bless her in her preparation. And as she still looks for a male leader to help with the work of camp, we pray that you will provide that for her, O Lord. And for all other camps, we ask your blessing. We ask for your protective care. We ask for your guidance. We ask for thankful hearts uh, that we have such a facility once again available to us. And so receive us now, we pray. Guide us in our thoughts and help us in speaking and hearing. To have your glory foremost in our minds, we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, a word to children. It's great to see children uh, out again today. I know it's been difficult for you as well in schools and uh, when we've had to uh, stop some of our uh, meetings due to the COVID situation. So it's great to see you all, and it's wonderful to have so many young faces once again present in person. You know what this is? So wee biscuit. anybody know what it's called. What are they called? They're called party rings. Party rings, you' probably had them if you had parties. you have had parties, I'm sure. All well, these party rings are very tasty, and uh, our Roscoe loves them. It's not often you can actually eat foods that dogs like. It's not often you can use a doggy treat and eat it yourself, but this is one of them. They're not made for dogs. They're made for people, but sometimes dogs like them as well. And this is one of Roscoe's favourites, these party treats. And they're held in a biscuit tin in our kitchen. And the tin has got one of those lids that you can clamp down to keep things fresh. And it makes a bit of a noise when you open it. And you know, if Roscoe's even through in the next room having a doze, sleeping there on his blanket, and he hears the noise of the tin being opened, he'll shoot through into the kitchen because he knows it's party ring time, it's treats time. So he shoots off through here and waits until the party ring. And very often in the morning when I go up to the study, uh, if I come down for a coffee and he then gets up, he's quite late getting up, and if he hears the party ring, I'll take one out and take it with me up to the study. And he'll follow me all excitedly all the way upstairs until he actually gets to the chair in the study where he usually sleeps while I'm busy at the desk. So, party rings for Roscoe. He likes these treats. Now, we should be like that in our lives as well with regard to the things that God gives us as special treats. And one of the most special treats is his own word, the Bible. That's why we're here today, because we're taking this treat that God has given us that's good for us, because we know how important it is to know the bible to study the bible to have a hunger for the teaching of the bible in the psalms in psalm 19 you remember how uh, david there in the psalm 19 was talking about the word of god and he talks in the various ways in which the word of god was so precious to him the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul. And he goes on to speak about what the word actually does. And he says, there are more to be desired, these words of God, they are more to be desired than gold. They are also sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, for David, nothing was more special apart from God himself. Nothing was more special for him in this life than God's own word. And that's why you're here today That's why you go to Sunday school, to tweenies, that's why you learn the Bible at home, because it is spiritual food that we should be as delighted to take as Roscoe is with his party rings. And of course, it's not just the Bible itself that's precious to us, Jesus also is our special spiritual food. And when Jesus and the salvation that's in God, that's in Jesus, that God has provided for us, when that is spoken of in the Word of God, we come to church because we want our souls to be fed. We want our souls to be fed by this rich spiritual food, this treat that God has given us in Jesus, this salvation, this forgiveness of sins, this eternal life that God has wonderfully provided for us as the greatest treat of all. And so today, as we come young and old, to listen to God's Word, to listen to what God is saying to us, let's all try together to think about Jesus as our spiritual food. Remember, Jesus himself said in John's Gospel, I am the bread of life, and he is the water of life. He is the spiritual food and water that we need. And today, that's why we come, not only to worship him and give thanks, but to receive from him the treat that is in his eternal life, and in his word, so that we come to enjoy our relationship with God, where he's our savior, and where we are his people, his family. So we're going to now say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's all t- together say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're going to read God's word, and the reading today is from the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, in chapter 5. Ezra comes after the two books of Chronicles and before the book of Job, uh, Nehemiah, and then Job and then Psalms. So in Ezra chapter 5, we can read from the beginning of the chapter right through to the end. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. The prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar-Bosnai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones, and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently, and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders, and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them the names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem, and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar, who had made whom he had made governor, and he said to him, Take these vessels. Go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Shezbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king, For the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. And the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to us. Let's uh, pray some further now from Psalm 47. On page 62, Psalm 47. uh, The tune is Warrington. We're singing the whole of the psalm, verses 1 to 9. All nations... Clap your hands and shout, let joyful cries to God ring out. How awesome is the Lord Most High, great King who rules the earth throughout. Single whole psalm, Psalm 47, to God's praise.
1: All oh, nations clap your hands and shout.
0: to turn together now to the passage we read in Ezra, Ezra chapter 5, and focusing especially on verse 11. We can read from verse 9. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Well, these chapters, as you find also with Nehemiah's book, give us information about the rebuilding that took place in Jerusalem after the Jews had returned from their time in Babylon, the 70 years that they spent there. Under the regime of the Babylonians, and as they had begun building the house, you can see from verse chapter four onwards, they faced some very stiff opposition, and it actually came to the point where a letter, as you see in chapter four, was sent to King Artaxerxes at the time, uh, actually suggesting that these Jews were really out to overthrow the government, uh, the government of the empire. And therefore they should stop this work, because this really, uh, according to what was sent to, the, uh, to Artaxerxes, was what they were about. So the king then ordered that the work cease. That's where you come to, through to the end of chapter 4 there, uh, the copy of the king Artaxerxes' letter. And they went in haste back to Jerusalem, and then the work of the house that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second reign of the king of Darius, the king of Persia. The Persians had overcome the Babylonians and set up a new empire, an empire, in fact, in which there was a lot more freedom of religion uh, so that uh, the Jews could continue to rebuild the house. But it came to an end, it came to cessation, at least to a a pause, for some 10 to 12 years or so until this happened, as you find in chapter 5, they began again to rebuild, and then they were questioned again and challenged again. And a letter was sent to uh, the king, this time to Darius, and they asked Darius to search the archives, the history books, the records that they had in order to find evidence that Darius, had, that, that, uh, that uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar rather, had actually given permission uh, to come and rebuild This house in Jerusalem. And the search was made, as you find here in chapter five, and uh, you then have the result of that in chapter six, when the rebuilding actually began again after this pause, and it began, uh, and uh, then they finished it. So that's really the story you find very interesting over the, uh, uh, sorry, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that gave the decree to, to build the house, it was actually Cyrus, Uh, after Nebuchadnezzar had ruled for a while. So that was the story behind this particular chapter and incident. And after the permission had then uh, been given again, uh, they restarted the work and finished it. But on the way there, this is how they answered those who challenged them. Here you find in chapter 5 here at verse 11. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago. Now that today for us is also something of relevance and significance for our particular day in practice as well, because that's effectively what we are always involved with in the church of God, not a physical building, a spiritual building, the building up of the kingdom of God, the building up of that uh, cause of Christ, that kingdom of Christ, that kingdom of God in which we are all involved in whatever way we are involved, as we'll see today, There's a role for each and every one who belongs to the church to contribute to that building or rebuilding work. And I want to focus on these two uh, references that they gave. First of all, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And secondly, what they were saying about rebuilding, and we are rebuilding. We are the servants of God, and we are rebuilding. The first thing to ask as we look at the reference to being servants Obviously, they're really uh, testifying to those that are challenging them and asking the questions. They're testifying to the fact that they're actually serving the higher power of God, not the emperor of Persia or whatever kingdom may exist at any time on earth. This is why they were actually doing the work, because they regarded themselves as servants of God. And you see the title they give to God, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. There's nothing that this God of heaven and earth does not rule over, including what we're doing here, they're saying to Him, including the ruling of empires, the coming and going of empires, the rise and fall of empires. This is the God of heaven and earth, and we are his servants. That's their testimony. That's their response. What a magnificent response it is. They're presenting themselves as the servants of this overlord, this God of all, this universal Lord, And therefore, the reason they're busy building this and rebuilding the temple is that they are not involved in a political enterprise. They're not involved in something merely political or geographical. What they're doing is especially a spiritual work. They are rebuilding the cause of God, the people of God, the covenant people of God, the house of worship that worship the Lord. It is primarily a spiritual enterprise. The Lord involves great timber, great stones, all of that. Behind all that is the main purpose to build and rebuild spiritually what had actually come to an end and been paused for so many years. And this is no threat to the Persian king. They're presenting this as something that they are obliged to do, that they owe the God of heaven and earth. And given that Uh, The king has been advised by those who oppose the work that all these Jews are interested in is sedition or rebellion, uh, as in the past they suggested. They want to make it clear this is no threat whatsoever to the political regime of the Babylonians or now the Persians. Now that's what applies to ourselves today. We are servants of the God of heaven and earth. What is the motive for being builders in the sense in which spiritually we are involved in the building up of the church and the rebuilding of the church, in actually constructing, if you like, a spiritual enterprise under the direction of God, under the direction of His Holy Spirit, under the direction of His Word. And we'll see in a minute how, how, how God actually used the, the prophets. The prophets that were involved at the time, um, the, how they were used in order to bring um, both teaching and encouragement and motivation from God to the people, and how, in uh, in that regard, they were so. Zechariah and Haggai—you have the books, of course, in the Old Testament—and this was the context in which they preached, in which they acted as prophets of the Lord. And today, that's what we're involved with ourselves. We have. All of this uh, around us that threatens, if you like, to extinguish the gospel as if that were possible. Well, it's not possible to extinguish the gospel. It might be possible to extinguish it from one place or other, as it has been in different places in the world today. As you look out over what used to be a place of worship that's now gone. You cannot extinguish the gospel, you cannot actually take Jesus away from people, even though you may take their freedom away from people. You might take the structures away from people, but you cannot take the Lord out of their hearts. Thankfully, you cannot remove from their lives the presence of God himself, the spirit of God himself, and the worship of God. And we are facing days when we come across such ideas that conversion The word conversion, which is such a precious term as we take the teaching of Scripture and apply it to the way people's lives are changed by the gospel, the way that God brings about a change for good in our lives, And how that is challenged today as if it were some sort of therapy which really is destructive or harmful to human life. And our struggle is in in presenting the gospel and presenting an argument against these ideas that this is no threat to people's well-being. It's no threat to the government. It's no threat to anything secular other than the fact that we want to establish the kingdom of God under his blessing. And for a start, I think I mentioned this last week as well for a start, conversion is not a therapy. We're not engaged in seeking to have people's lives changed by God to bring them under some sort of regime that threatens them and just removes from them everything that's precious. As you study the gospel, as you understand the Word of God, you understand that conversion as God defines it is a very good thing. It's not something we want naturally. It's something every one of us, I'm sure, puts away from us because it challenges our view of life. It challenges our relationship to the world and to God and to each other. And yet we know that once we're converted, once God opens our eyes, once God gives us a new heart and new longings and new aspirations, it's the best thing that ever happened to us. If I were to ask everyone in here today who knows of the power of God changing their lives. Put up your hand if you think your conversion was a bad thing. No hands go up. Why is that? Because we know that conversion, the change that God brings about in our lives, is a change that delivers us from the slavery of sin, from the darkness of sin, from the worldliness of sin, into the wonderful light of the gospel, the wonderful light of salvation, the wonderful, marvelous light, as Peter puts it, that God takes us into when he takes us out of the darkness of sin. The darkness of our own making we need delivered from. And the, dark, the bright light of God's making is what we're delivered into. And so, you can take this in principle and apply it to our own world today. And you see, these people are saying, well, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And the challenge that's come to us is not a small challenge. It's a great challenge. It's something that really has a lot of force behind it. But they're not afraid to say, we actually serve a higher power than any local or national government and this higher power is the way is the reason why we are doing what we're doing remember how uh, in uh, in uh, the acts of the apostles as well you find that the apostles were challenged uh, as you see in chapter 4 of the acts uh, where they came in, uh, to be challenged for what they were teaching what they were actually preaching and uh, Uh, They saw the boldness of Peter and John, especially in that passage, that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. Uh, they They recognized they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? For a notable miracle has been performed through them. That's evident to us all. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus. Because, you see, people's lives are changed. Businesses are being affected Idolatry was being affected, and all the businesses that supported idolatry were being affected. People were being changed. They were being converted. They were turning out of the ways of the slavery of sin and idolatry and superstition into the ways of God. So they said, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we had seen and heard so it is, friends, with us today. We cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. We are, as a church of Christ, as the church of Christ in the world, as the people who worship God and follow God and follow Jesus, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. God has laid them on our hearts. God has t- told us and, and taught us the difference between living under the dominance of sin and living under the Lordship of Christ. And that's what the gospel really says to you and to me, and that's what we seek as a congregation to witness to the world, that they needn't be afraid of conversion, that they needn't be afraid of Christians, that it would be the best thing that ever happened to them. I know you can't persuade them without the Holy Spirit taking that message of the gospel and opening their hearts to receive it, but we are obliged to maintain the integrity of our witness. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We do it with love. We do it with tact. But it's the fact that we are God's servants that motivates our doing of it. And our attitude in building, as they say here, is we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. We're not fellow directors with God as if we're directors of this spiritual company that, is, that the Trinity is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are His servants, and as servants, He is our King. We're obliged to do this because He is our master. He is a good master. He's not someone who uh, actually treats His employees cruelly, if you like. He's not someone who keeps from them what is their due, what is their right. You remember how, how Paul put this when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. You are bought, you are not your own, he said to the Corinthians. You are bought with a price. He's appealing to the Corinthians to dedicate themselves more fully to God than they were doing. They had started all sorts of practices, sinful uh, sinful behavior uh, and attitudes, and he's calling the apostle, is calling them in repentance back to God. He says, you are, you are bought with a price. The price is the ransom price, the blood of Christ, the death of Jesus. That's what it took to bring them to God. And now he's saying, You owe this to him because he bought you, he paid the price to make you his servants, and you became his servants willingly. That's what motivates you and I today, not just as individuals, but collectively as a congregation, to say we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. And uh, you see, as, as you go on reading this, uh, he, you actually see how, uh, how they were doing this, how they're responding here with, with humility as well, indeed with the spirit of penitence. He's making it plain in verse 12, verse uh, 12. Because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried them away to Babylonia. In other words, he's answering the uh, suggestion that somehow they're just involved in sedition or another attempt to overthrow the government. It was never like that, they're saying, in the first place. The reason that they actually ended up in Babylon was because they had disobeyed and rebelled against their God, not against the king of, of, uh, of Babylon. And therefore, the God against whom they had rebelled gave them into the hand of the king of Babylon. And they're recognizing now the greatness of the privilege they have of being back in Jerusalem, of rebuilding the house of God, of coming back again to give their contribution to the work of rebuilding. And that's what we do as well. We are servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we take into account all our own failures, all that makes us also needy of repentance. Everything by which we say to God as we seek to, to build spiritually and add to what's there before, we actually do this in a spirit of confession of our own sin. We are not better in ourselves than anyone out there or than those who came before us or those who will come after us. We all have our sin and sins to confess, our failures, our lapses, but we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. What is it today that motivates you as an individual? What is it that motivates us as a congregation? What is it that really brings us to be Uh, involved in the work of the gospel, not just in preaching the gospel, but being like yourselves a congregation, a gospel congregation, the activities associated with the church, with the gospel. What is it that motivates you in that? Isn't it this? Isn't it that you are servants of the God of heaven and earth? Isn't it that he is so worthy of you doing this? Isn't it that he has done far more for you and for me than we could ever do for him? We are servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are, secondly, we are rebuilding. This is why they're rebuilding. Because they're serving the God of heaven and earth. What is it that makes building or rebuilding spiritual necessary? Spiritual rebuilding, what is it that makes that necessary? Let's confine it to our own um, to our own context as a congregation, what is it that makes rebuilding necessary, what is that about? What exactly do we mean by spiritual rebuilding, and how does that come about, what's the reason for it? Well, for one thing, the work of building spiritually always goes on. There's always a need for other converts, for new converts. The work of rebuilding, in, in a sense, is never finished in this life for the church. Because there will always be uh, a need, as day by day goes by, as year by year goes by, to maintain the work of the gospel, maintain the work of building the cause of Christ. Of course, we're not saying that we are the builders, we're servants of the Most High God. He ultimately is the builder, but He's using the employment of His people. They are His workers, they're His servants. Through them, He builds His kingdom. Uh, You may have seen, I'm sure you've seen some um, archaeological excavations that have gone deep down in parts of the world uh, at uh, certain sites that are of historic importance. Um, And you can see the different layers that are built up, one on top of the other, of civilizations that actually existed in that place. Maybe one overrun by another, just as you find here. uh, Jerusalem overrun by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then the Persians and all of these, and Romans afterwards, all of these civilizations or empires or movements, building layers, if you like, one on top of the other as time goes by, as centuries go by. And you can see these layers, and you can find stuff in each of these layers, whether it's pottery or other things that tell you what these people were about. And you can see from that, well, this is what happened. This is the history of this place. Here's the bottom layer. Try and work out which Eda, that was from, and then as you come up, you see the more recent ones, all the way through to the present day, and you can see the wonder of how the development has taken place in these layers of building. Well, that's how it is for the church as well, in a sense, because we are building, if you like, on the layer of the generation that's gone before us, and we hope that the generation following us are going to be building on the layer that we are setting down just now. There's a constant work of building and of rebuilding. A constant work of laying on the previous layers, the layers, that's what you find in your families after all, isn't it? Because many of you here today will have an association with uh, previous Christians in your own families, and they laid down their own layer, if you like, of teaching, of example to you, and you've come as a Christian now to follow, to build upon that layer. You yourself now are following what they themselves did and what they themselves witnessed too. And if you're maybe here and you don't have that family ancestry, you don't have a previous generation of of Christians that laid down a layer on which you can build, well, here's your great opportunity and here's your great privilege to begin one for yourself. To let your family be the first to lay down this layer on which future generations can build. That's what we're involved with in following Christ. That's what we're involved with in belonging to the church. And it's so sad, isn't it? Sometimes you, not a, infrequently, sadly, you come across people who were raised in a Christian family, but have gone away from the gospel and from church and from, from God altogether. Sometimes we come to, sadly, the funeral of prominent Christians, perhaps, have reached an old age, and not speaking of anyone in particular, but it happens. And the families gathered there and have no connection with the church, no connection with the gospel, no connection to Jesus as far as can be known. And that's a a hugely tragic sight because it means the building stopped for them. They've just given up. They're not prepared to add their own contribution to the valuable layers that were laid down for them. And we really cannot... We cannot properly estimate the privilege we have of being brought up in a Christian setting, in a Christian family, in a worshiping family, in a family that testifies to God and to his worth and to his gospel. It's a massive, massive privilege. And it's something that sadly so many families around you here in the town and in our community don't actually have. Prize it. Make sure it's something you treasure and build on it for yourself. And make sure as far as possible you pass it on to the next generation. You can't guarantee that any of our children are going to actually follow in our footsteps spiritually. But that's not for want of trying on our part. Here we are saying uh, this is what happens in this regard as well. The work always goes on. And of course that means that, as you very well know, we have deaths in every congregation that leave gaps And the gaps that are left means we need to rebuild. We need to ask that God will bless us meantime and that He will bring others to fill the gaps and add to the number of His people who are following Him and worshipping Him in this life. The work of rebuilding always goes on in that sense. But then, of course, and more directly and more up to date, really, in a sense, is precisely rebuilding after COVID, and I want to mention that in closing, because COVID has been a huge challenge to us as a church, huge challenge to the church everywhere, huge challenge to us as a congregation, because some of our activities were stopped for a while, some of them have begun and then had to stop again. We're rebuilding in a sense in that way after the devastation of COVID and after the pandemic has had its own effects. Not only is that the case, that activities have stopped, but even as you come back into uh, rebuilding these activities again, there's a sense of frustration because things aren't still at the level that you'd want for freedom, uh, for confidence, for the rebuilding to the extent that you'd want. Some have lost confidence altogether. Some are afraid to come back out in person Like you are today in church, some maybe watching online are still hesitant and maybe aren't yet confident enough to come and take their place in the church building. Some, sadly, have fallen away altogether and no longer follow the Lord and no longer show an interest in the things of God or of his worship or of his gospel or with his people. Now we need to rebuild. We're involved in our rebuilding acknowledging God's providence, acknowledging His purpose, whatever it might be in bringing this pandemic to us. And there's an element there of self-examination for all of us to ask ourselves, what has this to do with me? It has a lot to do with me, a lot to do with you. As we re-examine our lives and our relationship with God, God has sent the pandemic for one reason, at least amongst many, I'm sure, that are known to Himself, and that's so that you and ask you and I will ask ourselves, Where have I been in the building work? Where have I been in the rebuilding of the cause of Christ? And where am I now? And what am I going to do now? And am I going to keep withholding my contribution from the work of the church? We need to seek to be great encouragers to people. Because this is a time for encouragement. There are times, of course, for critique. There are times for rebuke. The Bible brings that to us, and God is very good at doing that himself. But this is a time especially for encouragement. And we are here as worshippers of God to encourage one another today under the worship of God, under what we owe to God. We owe to each other to encourage us. And we need to go to our neighbors and to our friends and to those who are hesitant and those who are reluctant and those who have fallen away altogether. And we need to try and encourage them to be part of the rebuilding, to come back and to seek the Lord again in their hearts, to come and join together with us in the work of the church, in the work of rebuilding. What is it, what is necessary for you to be involved in the work of rebuilding? What is necessary for you to, contribute to the work of the church in building up the cause of Christ and the gospel? Well, many things you might say in answer to that question, but one thing especially, that you love the Lord. That's what these people were motivated by. They loved God. They were concerned as servants of this God of heaven and earth to be involved in rebuilding because they loved him. They loved his cause. They loved his... his, um, They loved his people. They loved his covenant. They loved his promises. That's what gave them the motivation. That's why they were involved with it. That's why they were working in rebuilding. And today, when you love the Lord, you want to be involved as much as you can. Not at a minimum. Not neglecting other things you have to do in the world. Family responsibilities, work responsibilities but nevertheless not at a minimum in your contribution to building up the cause of Christ. Thomas Watson wrote a wee book. It's still available. It's a wonderful book, a book that you will, I'm sure, read many times. It's called The Godly Man's Picture, and the subtitle of it is Characteristic Marks of a Man Who is Going to Heaven. Of course, by that he means women as well. It's just Uh, a way of referring to, to people. And this is what he says. A godly man strives to be an instrument for making others godly. He is not content to go to heaven alone, but wants to take others there also. The glory of Christ is as dear to him as his own salvation. Therefore, to promote this, he strives with the greatest effort to bring souls to Christ. It is a glory to Christ when multitudes are born to him. Every convert is a jewel adorning his crown. Though Christ's glory cannot be increased as he is God, yet as mediator it may be. The more that are saved, the more Christ is exalted. Why else should the angels rejoice at the conversion of a sinner? But because Christ's glory now shines. The more. We are servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding. And that means you, and it means me. None of us can say, that's not a task for me. That's not a task for which I'm equipped. First of all, make sure you're born again. Make sure you're a Christian. Make sure you're in Christ. That's the priority. But as a Christian, once you've seen to that, you are a servant of the Most High God and you are involved in the rebuilding, the constant work of building spiritually in the Church of God on earth. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for the privilege of involving us in the rebuilding of your Church, in the constant ongoing work of the Gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the provision that you make for us in the work of your Spirit in our own hearts and in the promise of your Spirit that your Word will not go forth without effect. We ask that you would give us, Lord, today to increase our own zeal and commitment to your cause and to the work of your church on earth. We ask that, like Isaiah, we might be able to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. And it be true of us, O Lord, that we fulfill uh, that obligation to yourself, and so that we carry forward the work of the gospel uh, for generations to come, but to uh, also in regard to the generations that have gone before us. Receive our thanks. Be with us throughout this day, and pardon our sin for Christ's sake. Amen. Our final uh, psalm today, this morning, is Psalm 48. Uh, psalm 48 from page 273. And verses 10 to 14. O Lord, according to thy name, through all the earth thy praise. And thy right hand, O Lord, is full of righteousness always. We'll sing to a tune Gainsborough. That's Psalm 48 on page 273. The last four verses. O Lord, according to thy name.
1: O Lord a